Welcome to another Geek Channel 8. This is the history of film and pop culture. This is another one of our Tarzan episodes. This week we'll be talking about the 1999 Disney animated version of Tarzan. Woohoo! <laughs> whoop, whoop. I'm Eric. I'm Nat. I'm Rosie. I think it's important to talk about the fact we're talking about the 99 Tarzan in sequence with the other Tarzans. Um, Tar- Tarzan Palooza? Would that be a fair assessment? Uh, Tarzan, Tarzanageddon? Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't know. I just really haven't been watching much TV. Most of our evenings have been consumed this week uh, getting our house fixed up. Yeah, you've been doing gardening and construction. I know. <laughs> I know. We've been mad people, but our house looks so much better, and um, it's operational, so I'm not complaining. Still got to work on the room I'm currently in, but that time will come. We have to... I know up next is uh, fixing the plumbing and figuring out other things with that, but yeah, that's been pretty much it. All of the series that I was um, watching, I have either, uh, either they took it off of Netflix or it's off for the summer or they couldn't film any more of it because of COVID. So (laughs) here we are. Yes, we are. We are recording this in the summer of 2020, just after uh, in in the middle of the summer, while COVID is still a thing, Netflix has just pulled a ton of stuff because they always have their mini streamageddons in the summer. Um, mm-hmm. So, yep, just to give people context as to when we were recording this. Well, but... and a lot of the shows are on hold. Like, the production is just dried up, right? Like, uh... The Walking Dead is on hold. They couldn't even finish the season because of COVID. <laughs> ironically the walking dead is on hold you can't make a show about everybody dying during a period when everybody's dying i know what are the odds (laughs) Um, and you you can't have them all wearing masks because that'll totally date it (laughs) (laughs) why don't they wear masks on the walking dead anyway like why indeed eric why indeed (laughs) (laughs) the whole show could have been avoided (laughs) <laughs> because it's a pre-covid post-apocalyptic show that's what post-apocalyptic show that's that's what it is <laughs> oh you know you know what show they do wear masks on that production is also halted the expanse and uh you figure spacesuits would be about as virus proof maybe they could just film the entire season as a spacewalk scene, right? Like, put everybody in the spacesuit at the beginning, give them each their separate, and just let them interact that way. So, I'm not proud. Mm. I often have just, I need something on while I work to give myself the semblance of office life again. Um, I don't know that watching is the correct term, but I have been exposed to the, like, most of the Warrior Nun series. And it's amazing that we live in a time where brought back from the dead, she becomes a warrior against the undead is almost a played out kind of genre. Like this, this felt old from inception and it was like, it's nothing fancy. You're not going to get blown away. There, There is no part of Buffy the Vampire Slayer you have not already been exposed to. Right. <laughs> but it's fun, right? Mm-hmm. The stunts are great. 
There's some good fight scenes. The acting is just enough to bring the action sequences along. And sometimes that's what you need. Yeah. Um, and in fact, it occurs to me because this show, I, I think Netflix produced it. Uh, I don't think they just adapted a foreign series like they often do. Yeah. But be prepared for an influx of foreign TV. It just occurs to me the other other countries are coming back from COVID way faster than we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. You're going to see a lot of Spanish series dubbed into English. You're going to see a lot of German TV or what have you. I can't wait. That's going to be <laughs> me awesome. Sir. I'm going to be excited about that. Well, and that was one of the things that always drew me to foreign cinema is that American stuff, I'm steeped in it, right? Like I, I grew up with it. You can't foreshadow anything in an American film or TV series without actually giving it away to most people, right? Like it, I know, it, but every- they always have the obvious scene of whatever it is that's going to happen later. And Correct. You're like, oh, I guess I better make note of that scene because something's going to happen with it later. Exactly. And when the co- either A, other countries don't do that, or B, when they do that, they use a culturally irrelevant signal to me that I don't get. Either way, the whole thing isn't spoiled, and I love that. I liked the way Breaking Bad did it because they would focus on just one image and that image would be kind of obscure. You wouldn't know what it was about. Like maybe it was like the pink uh, stuffed animals eyeball floating in the the swimming pool. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and so you knew something bad was going to happen. You just didn't know what that thing was. Yeah. Have you been watching uh, Better Call Saul? Have you been watching that at all? I watched season one. I think I have not picked up since then. Go back and keep watching it. Like, it's still a great show. It really is. And I still don't understand what they're foreshadowing, and it's beautiful. Well, it's going to break my heart if Kim dies, and it seems like they're, like, working that toward that, you know? And yeah. what's her name? Sealhorn, uh, the woman that plays her, is just mm-hmm. awesome. She's um, wonderful. She's absolutely wonderful. And and you just want her to, 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 to escape, but you know Jimmy's going to drag her down. You just know it, you know? I just keep waiting for her to break up with him because she really is a strong, like, she's a, she's a very strong, uh, you know, very smart, very strong, independent character. Yeah. But, you know, she has this very unique relationship with him. And so, but it's interesting because I just keep, like every episode I keep watching, you know, as a woman and as someone who has been through some very trying relationships in my life, I keep watching this and I, I keep thinking, okay, when's enough going to be enough? When's enough going to be enough? Yeah. Has she finally, is this it? Is is she really, is she going to break up with him? This Is this it? You know, like every episode I watch it and just, you got to keep watching it. You have to keep watching it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I mean, it's the pre- prequel to Breaking Bad, and we know yeah. she's not in Breaking Bad. So either she's going to break up with him or she's going to die. Exactly. And I keep waiting for one of two things to happen. And I'm like, if anything happens to her, I hope to God she like breaks up with him and moves to some fabulous city, opens her own practice, and is successful. <laughs> but it is Breaking Bad, so we don't know. Without beleaguering the point too much. Can we just take a moment to appreciate the fact that both Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul are about not the good guys? Like, how rare that is? Well, that's becoming very common, though. I mean, Dexter. Um, I agree. You know, I always wanted that. The sad thing is kind of all the kind of stuff I wanted to see when I was in my 20s is now getting made. 
it's we live in the era of streaming the economics have changed like we're, we're switched when we were kids the big money for a tv show was to make it five years and go into syndication right the second they realized and it was well after the turn of the century that they realized the big money fuck syndication dvd sales yeah and now streaming is kind of an outgrowth of that that changed the way they produced tv when they realized Firefly was the biggest thing they'd ever made, and they have sold more box sets of that than anything previous, right? Right. They they started having a little bit more leeway in what they put up. The cinema is based on ticket sales, and nobody goes yeah. out to see stuff in the movies for a variety of reasons that I don't want to get into right now. But that made... The real money to be in either advertising, which is free TV, or subscriptions, which is pay TV and streaming services. And because mm -hmm. they have a constant revenue coming in, they have more money to produce their shows. So they're making shows yep. like Game of Thrones, which are better than what you're getting in the movies, you know, right. these days, because mm -hmm. that's just the economics of it. I'm, you know? I'm thinking about season eight Game of Thrones and... I don't want to. I don't want to disagree with what you're saying, right? Like, I you're total. Better may be a strong word now that I have seen the entirety of Game of Thrones. But well, that the problem with Game of Thrones season eight is only the fact that they got ahead of the writer, so they had to then end it without. You know, it'll be interesting to see how how the series, the uh, Song of Fire and Ice, or whatever it is, how that series ends the way it was naturally scripted to end. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Instead of the way that they're like, oh, no, we got to come up with an ending. You know, this is one of the problems that a lot of series have. I was just watching um, CNN's special uh, series about uh, the 2000s. The first episode, they talk about television. And um, they were talking about Lost. And Lost was oh. like a hit. Lost was wonderful. Then something happened. They well, the, what happened was they hadn't planned it to become a hit, so yeah. they were they wanted to end it, and they weren't they were under contract to go x well, number of seasons. They like I think ABC finally told them they could end it after ten seasons. So they're like, <laughs> there was literally a writers' meeting or something where they told the. They told the network, look, we're running out of flashbacks. We can't keep flashing back forever. Yeah. <laughs> we're running out of flashbacks. Well, and I remember it felt like the wheels came off that series during the writer's strike. There was a writer's strike that was largely over streaming revenue, right? Like, yep. this was right when this was at its nascency. And these guys felt they deserved a portion of that. But, you know, nothing in the contract from years before had predicted streaming as any kind of revenue source. So there was a big strike. I remember they broke the second season of Lost into halves. Yeah. The first season of Lost was moody and cryptic and foreboding. And it was really this kind of TV I hadn't seen in America before, where they were alluding to things, but but you didn't know. You were afraid. You were apprehensive the I whole think time. Twin Peaks did it. Like, for me, Twin Peaks was the show okay. that really started yes. that trend. Sure, yes. and that's actually yeah. I Twin Peaks, uh, the Prisoner, something like that. The Prisoner, you... yeah. If you go way back, that's another thing that we should talk about sometime. Is how like in the '60s, like with all the experimentation, they almost went that way, and then things regressed back to stupid sitcoms in the '70s. But like with shows like The Prisoner, but the point I'm getting to, uh, Lost 
they did this show that came out the first season I will recommend to anyone. It was amazing. The second season, they did half of a season. They had it written. Then the writer's strike came in, and they did the second half of the season after the strike concluded. And you could tell. Oh, I stopped watching it. You could tell the formula had been broken. You could tell that they were just simply adding... Um, they were, they were adding confusion for confusion's sake. Yeah, I uh, it really made me mad, and I, I never watched Lost after that. So I've yeah. never seen past the first season and a half. You saw the good part. I always like to start these off where we talk about older media that we've consumed within the re- recent past. For me, it was Live Free or Die Hard, which was really hard <laughs> to find. Um, and I wanted to watch it Fourth uh, of July weekend because that's when it oh, takes place. Uh, is that the one where they drive the police car through the helicopter? That would be the one. Yes. <laughs> now, I got to say, I had a, a love-hate relationship with this particular movie. It was like, I liked that they were not doing the same thing all over again. It wasn't set at Christmas time. It wasn't like a big heist film, per se. It was There was a little bit of that to it, but not really. And it was based off of an article in Wired magazine. <sighs> one, Justin Long again. I love Justin I just Long. have decided if Justin Long's in a film, I'm going to boycott that film. He annoys the hell out of me. Look, I will take Justin Long over Nicolas Cage any day because you know what Justin Long doesn't do? He doesn't show up and ruin otherwise great films, okay. which Nicolas Cage does. <laughs> okay, but I still want to smack the shit out of him. But And then, of course, there was the stupid trope of the, the hacker in the mom's basement. Of yes. course, it was Kevin Smith this time, but it was still his buddy. Yeah. Uh, Oh, that trope And I want just... to point out, it was tired then, right? Like, it was already tired when this was made. That was, what, 15 years ago, something like that? Yeah. Okay, well, let's get into a movie that has been done. It's been done <laughs> over and over. You, you dodged the word great, Eric. <laughs> now, hang on just a second. Before we start this, this time, I know... Nat's just going to blast all over this. So you have to wait, Nat. I want to start, have Rosie take us through this, and then you and I can go through our thoughts on it later. So Rosie, why don't you start? Okay. uh, Well, you know, first, uh, it seemed to me, of course, it was a very modern Jane. I'm going to go the Jane route. Um, But she was a, a much more modern, independent Jane, definitely a period Disney cartoon film was modernized that had the the modern day twist like every you know growing up every Disney princess movie you could still tell what era it came from even though it was set in a certain time period like for instance Cinderella was obviously made in the 50s you could just tell by by the the style of animation and everything but in this case um you could tell because uh Jane was very independent she was very smart she was uh um, you know, she, she knew, she knew what she was, she was talking about and this wasn't, uh, and it, you know, it, it, it just went kind of a different route because of that. Um, I do like that when they started out, they gave a little backstory about Tarzan, you know, how he ended up on the Island in the first place and, and how they had the parallel story where the mother ended up being his mom raising him. Uh, I thought that was uh, that was a nice twist to that, and I actually I did watch this um, film with my older daughter or with my younger daughter Harmony, 
um, and she had seen the film before, but it was just kind of nice to uh, to watch that with her and, and watch her, you know, say, oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. Uh, or I forgot about that part. I did notice a couple, uh, you know, nest eggs. One of them, when they focused in on the tea set, I could tell that that was the exact same kind of tea set from Beauty and the Beast. I have two daughters, so I, and I have three younger sisters, so I grew up watching a lot of Disney films. So I do recognize little nest eggs here and there that they, that they show. The Easter um, eggs, yeah. Yeah, the little Easter eggs, yeah. I noticed the nod that they made to the 1932 film. Um, when she called him tar uh, Tarzan the Ape Man, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, all and they explained like the knife, the knife part when he, when he created the knife and started using the knife as a tool. So I will jump in here because I've been reading the book. The knife is an important tool for Tarzan in the book. Mm -hmm. um, the I don't know if I mentioned this in any of our other ones that we've uh, we've covered, but. In the book, mm -hmm. it's his intellect to some degree, but also the fact that he finds a knife that allows him a certain amount of power over all the other jungle animals because he has a knife and they don't mm -hmm. they don't or they don't know how to use it or whatever. It gives him a little bit of a pardon the pun, an edge. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah, and in, in, in the Disney film, he puts two and two together because he sees the the rhino, like, scrape up the tree, and he has a sharp edge, and he's like, uh, huh, huh? Like, oh, I see the rhino do this. I wonder if I could do the same thing with this tool. Does the same thing with the tool, and then he, all of a sudden he's using a knife now. So, which I guess, yes, his intellect, but he also kind of learned from a rhino. Okay. Um, and Clayton is a douche. Just saying. <laughs> Clayton is a douche. He's a douche in every movie. He's a douche. Or the guy who looks like him. Funny how he looked just like the, the guy in the, in the characters um, from the films in the 30s. So well, I thought that, that was a nod, too. Yeah. Okay. Um, shall we break it down, or do you have any overall things you want to say first before we start? Uh Nat, because I can tell you're dying to say something here. <laughs> Before I tell the story of my experience watching Tarzan, I want to talk about something I call the Papa John's effect. <laughs> Papa John's is the number one selling pizza in America. And it's not because it's good. Right. It's, it's because it's the thing everybody can agree on. They have taken pizza, removed Anything potentially offensive. The pepperoni is not spicy. The sauce is not spicy. It is not sweet. The bread does not have an herbaceous element to it. It is the least common denominator of pizza, and they are rolling in cash because of it. This movie reminds me of that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that it, that it reminded you of Papa John's, the great height white hunter aspect of it. Oh, oh, we could, please, let's return to that. That is an apt, I didn't even think about that. That's great. But every single problematic theme of Tarzan simply is avoided. There was not a single black person in this movie set in Africa. Just didn't happen. 
Just didn't. They just didn't talk about it. Okay, so let me just say that there are large portions of Africa with no people in them, particularly the jungle areas. But again, we're talking about Tarzan. Black people featured in every one of the movies so far in in less than flattering ways, right? Like we we've spent weeks talking about this. Right. Disney just went the other way. It was like, ah, like, ah, no, like, yeah, let's not talk about it at all. Let's just not address that. Let's take a hero that already has this established theme and maybe pull out that part. Okay. I didn't do the background to the year 1999 like I usually do. So I'm not going to do that now, but I will put this in a little bit of context here. This film for Disney came at the end of the 90s, and it seemed like the end of an era. After this, Pixar sort of seems to take center stage and computer animated films from the major studios, Pixar being at the pinnacle, but then yep. DreamWorks gets into the action and other, other studios as well. Also, it seems to be the end of the so-called Disney Renaissance, the, the time period that we associate with the Disney princesses. This is the first movie where the main protagonist is a man, not a woman. Like all of the ones before it, all their big hits. I kind of give them a little bit of credit for not for taking a risk this way, because it would have been easy for them to do yet another Beauty and the Beast, yet another, you know, Hunchback of Notre Dame, another Little Mermaid, another, you know, Cinderella type story, which is was their bread and butter for the 80s and the 90s. So I just want to get that out there. Also, what's different about this that I liked is not only is it just an adventure story, they don't sing. No, they don't. They don't suddenly break into song. And I appreciated that, even though I will say the music, which was all by Phil Collins, <laughs> I hate. I mean, I absolutely hate I Phil Collins. I was so mad at Phil Collins by the end of this. Like, and that's actually literally the second line of my notes is, fuck this music. Is this, wait, is that Phil Collins? That's what I have written in. Yeah, it's Phil Collins. It's terrible. Even by Disney musical movie standards, it's terrible. Yeah. And it's unnecessary. Like, it's not a musical film. It is not them telling the story through music. It is them shoving Phil Collins into this movie set in the jungle. I mean, it's almost like they said, hey, Phil Collins needs a job. Let's have him write the score for this film. You know, we'll keep him on the we'll keep him in the market somehow. My buddy, Phil, he's having kind of a rough time. Can we uh, <laughs> can we get him on the project? Is this something we could maybe have him do? Just write some, I don't know, some catchy jingles. I think it was like Randy Newman's busy, so we need somebody else. <laughs> Randy Newman's busy. To me, it was the storytelling equivalent of, you know, those guys who'll take like cinnamon butter, put it into a big hypodermic and shoot it into a turkey right before they deep fry it. It's like that. But for music, <laughs> but for animated film about Tarzan, <laughs> like it doesn't have to be there. I did not know that was a thing. Cinnamon <laughs> butter in the turkey. Well, and I didn't know Phil Collins had anything to do with jungle music. Well, and also, you know, speaking of the the lack of people of color in the film, did you notice that in the scene, once they get Tarzan on the boat and he's being made fun of by the guys that are actually like pirates, I guess, and they're giving him a hard time, led by Clayton, did you notice that his skin tone was a little bit darker than it was any other time in the film? No. 
I did not notice that. It was markedly more tan than it was during the rest of the film. So did they avoid racism this entire time, just sidestep it, and then kind of subtly, like... They sidestepped racism the whole movie. And then suddenly, like, oh, yeah, here you go. Yeah. Just They're like, if you don't include black people, you don't have to talk about racism, apparently. I would have had a bigger problem if they had had black people in, you know, a subservient role and like, you know, like better to just avoid the issue because it's totally believable to me that, you know, you could have a ship of white people land somewhere on the coast of Africa and not encounter any black people. It's totally possible. This is the formula. This is the formula for using Tarzan in a modern context. And again, we skipped over a lot. We skipped over the 80s. We skipped over the 60s. But from what we saw from the teens and the 30s, Tarzan isn't something maybe we should be really racing to revive, possibly. Mm -hmm. We didn't even watch the, the modern Tarzan. So, yeah, I think I don't have a better idea, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, yes, I can criticize them for just completely sidestepping the history of the character and the problematic themes, but I don't know how I would do that myself. I still think a baby that manages to survive in the wild to adulthood in the jungle is still a fascinating concept. And I'll say that the things I liked about this, besides the no singing, was the animation was still really incredible. Disney's always really good at their, or has always been good at selling animation going all the way back to their first film, Snow White. The thing I did not like about the way they portrayed Tarzan was the way he surfed the trees. Yeah. Yeah. I found that very annoying and I'm like, ouch, that would freaking hurt. (laughs) You You can tell rollerblading had already been invented, right? Like freestyle skating was what they were copying. Like the little, yeah, the little boardwalk. It was definitely a skateboard. Yeah. 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 I did notice a few Easter eggs. The tea set being the Beauty and the Beast tea set. I noticed that. Jane. Interesting take on Jane. Is this a, a heavily used trope these days or not? The like nerdy girl who. The the thirsty woman trope. Yeah. Yeah. Now that happens. Like after a long series of rapey Tarzans. Jane was the sexual initiator in this. She was the one who kissed Tarzan. Yep, she was. It was voiced by Minnie Driver, right? I think. Was it? Okay. I think so. I'm not sure. Let's let's get a confirmation on that. Yeah, Um, my brain shut down at Phil Collins. I I missed everything else from that point (laughs) on. Yes, Minnie Driver was was Jane Porter. Brian Blessed was in this. I, I looked at the page the other night, and Brian Blessed was the one that really shocked me. And I don't even remember who he played, but God, I love Brian Blessed. He played Clayton. Okay. And Damn it, uh, he was the bad guy. I love Brian Blessed. He should have been the good guy. Glenn Close played Kala, which was Tarzan's mother, gorilla mother. All right, time to get into the pet peeves. There were a couple of them. One that I that really they get shipwrecked right in this version of Tarzan. They aren't deliberately put ashore by mutineers. It's like 10 seconds of prologue. Oh, no, a storm. Quick, get off the boat. Boom, Tarzan. Then they build this amazing treehouse. Now, there is a treehouse in the Tarzan novel because they spend the night in the trees the first 
couple of nights or whatever while they're building a cabin just so they can be off the ground and protected from from predators until they can build a more proper house but in this they build this elaborate tree house and they have the giant what do you call it the two-man bandsaw and all this stuff to build this tree house with and i'm like wait you thought to get that off of your little rowboat like how did how did they end up with all this stuff to- <laughs> when we were watching last night tracy just looked over at me and said where did they get furniture like where's the, where, <laughs> where they get the they tea set <laughs> dressers like where the hell are the dressers from right but just first of all operating the 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 giant bandsaw or whatever you call what do you call those big long saws that takes two people the two people two man saw uh i don't know anyway that saw i'm like they show him the 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 father lord Greystoke, using that and i'm just like one, how do you use that by yourself? But two, where the hell did that come from? You know, and yeah. and then they use all these tools to build this mansion in the in the trees. And I'm I'm just like, OK, so that one, that part really bugged me. There were a lot of things like I mentioned, like uh, we talked about the knife and stuff that were were truer to the book this time than a lot of other things. But one thing that I really didn't like and it directly contradicts. <laughs> it directly contradicts common sense and the novel is all right tarzan is a kid and he's raised with the kid gorillas and he grows up and becomes a man and like in the story they specifically mention how they they would have given up on him if he hadn't already been a year old by the time they found him because he took so long to mature and gorillas mature really fast. So they're like, why is he still an infant? Why is he still? But in this, it was just the opposite. His like sister or whatever, his playmate is a like baby gorilla. And then like, eventually he's this grown up and, and like, she's still this little baby gorilla. Mm -hmm. What Mm -hmm. was her name? Turk. Turk. That's right. Turk annoyed the hell out of me. And she was played by Rosie O'Donnell. Turk annoyed the hell out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Let's look at the main thematic difference really quick, if we could, about this film. This wasn't about Tarzan, right? This movie... This movie was about the apes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tarzan was amongst them. But the story itself was about... The apes. This was daddy issues, right? This was Tarzan <laughs> dealing with the rejection by his adopted father or not adopted father or however that. Yeah. It, this was about the apes interacting with each other. And this was about Jane showing up and. Her, less her reaction to her father, like didn't have much to do with it. He was there. He was. He was there. Um, but this was really a movie about the apes using Tarzan as a trope, as something people already knew about to move the ape story forward, right? Right. And at that, it wasn't unclever, like it wasn't unfun. They just pulled one element they knew people would relate to and put it into a, a movie about apes. And that's fun. There shouldn't be anything wrong with that, except that the character is problematic and we tell stories like this. We, we create problems. We create monsters to anthropomorphize problems we have. And something you said earlier, Eric, about the foundling, you know, raised in the wild 
that that is a timeless story and i think you're right i think you're right but we don't write those stories anymore because the wild isn't a problem we actually have it's it's not a thing we need to personify so that we can defeat it the foundling story is a tale of a person that comes from the wild like they are born of humans they they are left to the wild and then they emerge from it victorious but the wild itself isn't an element we even consider anymore. Yeah, well, we, we talked about that in the very first Tarzan we did, how, like, the world is now small mm -hmm. and not unexplored like it was when these characters were created. But I think it works in, if you're talking in a retro period. Like, this Tarzan was a period piece. It did not take place in 1999 when it was made. It was retro to the 30s or something, right? To that vaguely Victorian era of... Yeah, vaguely Victorian, yes. They also deftly dodged the entire element of colonialism by being scientists. Oh, we're just here to study gorillas. They just like, we're not, we're not here to exploit the natural resources. We're not oh, here to the mercilessly oppress the... The villains absolutely were. And you know what? Props for getting white people so right, right? Like, well, uh, Clayton, here's here's an interesting thing I wanted because it ties back to our talk about other stuff with this. Um, their whole the whole plot in this, which isn't in most of the Tarzans um, that I've seen or heard about. Um, you know, of course, there's been the ivory plunder, but this one they wanted to take whole animals. The whole point was to capture these gorillas, which, again, to tie us back to Tiger King. That is a long running theme. That was a running theme in that Netflix document documentary, how valuable jungle animals were alive, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To, to zoos and stuff like that. So it's not something that is completely dead or left back in the Victorian period or the 1930s or whenever. It's still a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's I mean, I, I could see where. Um you know, the, the, the popularity of environmentalism was kind of a, an underlying theme in that too, where, you know, that they were protecting, they were protecting the apes, you know, and they were there just there to study. And, uh, you know, of course we find out later that Clayton had an ulterior motive because he just happened to have a ship on the way to take away all of these live animals. And, you know, apparently they tried to take Tarzan too, but that was unsuccessful. Yeah, this movie, secretly just about the apes. And, mm -hmm. you know, getting gaining acceptance from your reluctant father. Those are the two themes. Everything else is just flavor. And, you know, just like a classic Disney film, they always have to add the romantic aspect to it and make things more romantic than they probably really were. Uh, at least it, in this one, they didn't throw in a love story just to throw in a love story like I've seen happen in other Disney films. But... You know, it still happened and it was still kind of corny. <laughs> that actually raises a really good question. How vital is Jane to the Tarzan story? Is she the central element? Or was that just thrown in to make it a love story? Like, and just again, I guess I'm asking across the entirety of what we've seen, you know, all of them. Would Tarzan still be Tarzan if there wasn't that tempering element 
in it. I think that Tarzan, the origin story of Tarzan, which is what we've been watching over and over, requires Jane. She is the go-between between modern society, which he, in a lot of cases, doesn't really care for, and his jungle background. But can you have a Tarzan movie without Jane in it? I think there were many. Yeah. I think it's possible, but you got to pick up the story later. Like you can, you can pick up the story after Jane, but if you, if you <laughs> like after the divorce would, you know, Tarzan's 45 and he's sitting at home and he's like, Oh, I got to get out of the house. So he j returns to well, the jungle. I just Is mean that the... after he has been Westernized a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, and that Westernization is it requires Jane. So that's my take on it. Well, and also Jane is his, his connect, his connection to human beings and all, and you know, when she, when she comes on the scene, um, which obviously Disney touches on this more the movies from the thirties didn't even touch it. They took a different, um, aspect to it but you know when they when they touch on it in the disney film it's more like you know he knows he's different he doesn't he doesn't know why he's different and then people show up on uh you know to the jungle that look like him and you know she's part of that and you know he hasn't experienced the opposite sex of his species and so she's fascinating to him um and that makes him question who he is even more you know, when you when you go back to the films um, in the early 30s, I think the fascination, you know, lies in, in the the mindset of um, what they thought of women back then. You know, women were accessories. Um, they weren't supposed to have an opinion. They weren't supposed to be sexual. They were playthings. They were there to have babies and, you know, raise children and do everything around the house while the man went off and made a living you know so so you know and, and also obviously from the films in the 30s they thought that women could be bought with things with you know material things so the thought of of a woman deciding on her own that she's going to stay in the wild you know and and continue to live her life and just leave all of these material things that she can supposedly you know supposedly be bought and paid for with behind is just mind-blowing so you know and and still to this day like would you leave your creature comforts and go live somewhere completely different would you really do that there is kind of a fascinating aspect to that and so that's that's kind of where um you know where jane falls in it's like there's this exotic man from the wild raised by animals would a would a modern day woman be attracted to that would a modern day woman love love someone like that so much that she would just like leave her whole entire life and live in trees the rest of her life. You know, would she do that? It's kind of a fascinating angle to look at, at least to me. Can, can I just point out, this is just now occurring to me. <laughs> the person that went and did possibly the most seminal primate research, like the most important single person's contribution to our understanding of how primates work Jane Goodall. Exactly. Dun dun dun. Would a would a woman leave the modern creature conference and go to the wild? Apparently, you don't you don't have to be named Jane, but man, what a happy coincidence! Right. She found her passion and went with it. Yeah. Well, and think about a. 
I God, I want to say I'm going to guess she went to school in the 40s, maybe the 50s. How much of a pain in the ass does it have to be to get your doctorate as a woman in America at that era? And I'm not saying it must be nice to escape all of the social nonsense and just do really advanced scientific work. But man, it must have been nice to escape like the, the entire patriarchal overarching structure of academia mm-hmm. and just fucking do the most important work that's ever been done on a subject. Right. And and to be honest, after dealing with, with huge caseloads of sexism like that, uh, you know, amongst the educational elite, I'd want to escape to a fucking jungle, jungle too. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, yeah, a uh, couple other bits of trivia I found out here while we were talking. I've been looking this up online. It turns out that the uh, model for Tarzan's motion like through the trees and all that was supposedly Tony Hawk. Oh, cool. There we go. It okay. was skateboarding. It was skateboarding. But but I feel like I'm still mad at Disney, Eric. I think yeah. <laughs> oh, there there'll be more opportunity. We're going to do more Disney films. This isn't this is not the end all be and this is by far not the most annoying Disney film. No, there it is are, not far more annoying disney films this actually falls in the middle of the pack somewhere in my opinion but, <laughs> yeah um, that's horrific that's, by the way um, if we ever go over the little mermaid i don't even need to watch it i know that by heart and i can sing every song in my sleep my sisters watched that non-stop when we uh, finally had it on vhs growing up little fish first i cut off their heads it won't hurt because you're dead <laughs> and you're certainly lucky you are for it's going to get hot in the big silver pot for the little le poisson au revoir <laughs> <laughs> yes i can sing i love the little mermaid i love the little that that's yeah. like my favorite of the yeah. disney never seen the little mermaid what i have never seen the little mermaid oh it's the best one man yeah <laughs> um it, it's it's i like it because you know the the prince is eric and i mean there's that and the little mermaid's hot and she can't talk perfect feminist movie right there yeah i know i know right (laughs) anyway i can't we can go down that road but we better not go down that road today no (laughs) (laughs) um okay all right any last thoughts nat i don't know what kind of suffering phil collins has earned for doing this but I know he's earned some stuff. There's there's maybe like a 12th circle of hell where you just have to listen to your work over and over again. You just have to hear your own voice for all of eternity and regret it. Right. Like <laughs> agreed. Rosie. I don't really have much. I still think Clayton's a douchebag. I'm, I'm glad Tarzan and Jane are living happily ever after in the forest skating the, the woods like Tony Hawk. You know, good, good for them. <laughs> why, why did the dad jump off the boat at the last second? Like, how creepy is it now for you and your new jungle wife to be living with your new jungle wife's father? 
I don't know. He's cute. And I'm a daddy's girl. So, like, if my dad did that, I'd be like, okay, you can live with us. But you have to live in a separate cottage. Right? <laughs> there have to be walls. There have to be, like, sound dampening walls. Yeah, this is your corner of the jungle, Dad. And this is our corner of the jungle because, you know, there's some things we don't want you to hear. So there's that. <laughs> it's the jungle. You, you're going to hear some things that sound like... Slapping. Not jungle sounds. They're just <laughs> wood chopping. All right, just stay They're over different there. kinds of screams. <laughs> we'll have to get into that in a future one. If we ever come back to Tarzan, we we got to get into the sex angle because it 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 underlies like it's not even subtle. Anyway, it's not. It's not okay. I want to remind everybody that um, you can tell us how much you hated us or whatever at GC8, that's letter G, letter C, number eight podcast, all one word, GC8 podcast at gmail.com. Be sure to like and subscribe. Give us four or five stars, whatever the maximum number of stars is in the um, infinite stars. Infinite, infinite stars. stars stars for days surrender your stars onto us uh <laughs> so yeah we aren't asking for money right now but we are asking for people to tell everybody about us and one of the ways people can find us in the itunes stores if we have good ratings and reviews so if you like us please do that that's the best way you can help the show and until next time this is eric this is nat and this is rosie take care